your head around silks. This is the Expecting Aerials podcast. It's where our aerial lifestyles intersect with motherhood and pregnancy. So glad to have you guys today. If you click on the show notes, there's a link to the free mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Really easy to register. Click there if you're interested. Today, I'm so excited to have Katie Weichel. She is Canadian. She's an acupuncturist and a body worker, aerialist and a mama. And uh, she's really a wonderful resource of information. And I love her story. Let's get to know Katie. You do body work, you do acupuncture. Am I right? Yeah, I am a registered acupuncturist and a registered massage therapist. Awesome. And you're also an aerialist and a studio owner. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Oh my goodness. And you're in Saskatchewan in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Middle of the prairie. So what's the name of your studio? Uh, Our studio is Fly Studios YXE. Ah, and what do you guys do there? We do uh, aerial silks, aerial sling, and lira. We also have a hammock studio, so we do some low-flow hammock fitness and restorative classes. I am a body worker as well, so kind of like sisters in arms with that. But with acupuncture, acupuncture, I am like admittedly very uneducated in what it is, the, the purpose of it, the point of it, what we can, what kind of benefits you can get from it. And then I'd love to hear your birth stories and anything you want to tell me prenatal, postpartum, and then, and then um, how it all intersects with Ariel. Well, I've been a registered massage therapist for 14 years and I've been an acupuncturist for 11 years. Um, the style of acupuncture I'm trained in is contemporary medical acupuncture. Um, so I did my training out at McMaster University in Ontario for that. And it uses some traditional acupuncture points, but the main focus is neuromodulation of areas that have dysfunction. So um, we could be targeting trigger points in muscles. We could be working with scar tissue. We could be working with uh, an area of muscle that is inhibited neurologically and trying to restore uh, motor response in that area. So it has a number of targets that are a little bit outside of traditional acupuncture. Um, And then the type of massage therapy I do is uh, primarily instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization, or IASTM. So I work with instruments. um, And again, targeting things like scar tissue and uh, top bands within the muscle, um, removing restriction to try and restore full muscle length and strength and function. Okay, I have a I have a bunch of questions for you. Sure. <laughs> is is this the type of instrumental work that is? Is that is that considered um rolfing? Um I'm not entirely familiar with rolfing. I've heard of the name, but I don't know a lot about that. Okay. Um it's so it's uh IASTM. We do a lot of frictions with an instrument that has a variety of edges. Um 
and each edge can kind of have a little bit of a different effect on muscle tissue or tendon. Um, so we can break things apart that way. It has some precision edges for doing ischemic compressions to try and release trigger points. Yeah, it just allows a bit more precision and a bit more focused pressure um, that I wouldn't be able to sustain with the joints of my fingers or thumbs. My question is, so it's to lubricate fascia, it's to break up scar tissue. I'm trying to compare it to my own body work method. I, I actually learned a tie-based method and it's based in thumbing. And then I have another method that I've learned from another practitioner that's more myofascia release of friction with, with knuckles and thumbs and forearms and elbows. So is it kind of in the same realm as that, except that you're using an instrument? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much the same. So I do use my elbow okay. a lot as well. Uh, Cause as you know, elbow is a very handy tool <laughs> for, Oh, it is. Pressure. It is the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if you have a good pointy elbow. I have been told that I have very pointy mean elbows and it's not set in a nice way at the moment, but then they keep on coming back. So exactly, they like the results, right? Do you see, uh, what kind of people do you end up seeing? Who are your client base? I have a huge uh, range of clients. I have um, patients who are elderly. I have uh, lots of patients who just have repetitive strain through uh, the jobs that they do or the posture that they're in for their work. Um, and then I have some young athletes, um, so a huge, huge range. I've worked on kids as well. Uh, of course, they're, they're easy to work on. <laughs> kids are easy to work on because their fascia isn't so, you know, stuck, stuck in its ways. Their muscle releases so fast and then, yeah, don't need much pressure. Okay, so let's go into the acupuncture side. Assume that the listeners do not know what it is, why, how, the benefits, anything. So it's the insertion of um, fine needles. They're very fine. They're almost uh, the diameter of a hair. Uh, and they are not hollow, so they're a solid needle. Uh, you insert those at varying depths at specific points. Uh, a great example is with low back pain. Um, I'd be assessing the patient and likely their low back muscles are tight and their glutes are inhibited or weak and not responding as well as they could be. That's usually what we see. So I do a few insertions uh, along the spine in the back muscles to try and release those. And I do a few deeper insertions in the upper glutes. And with the style of acupuncture I do, I usually um, also run some current through the needles. So I'd hook up little alligator clips and I have specialized devices that would run a bit of mild electrical current into the points. And oh my goodness. Is that like, I, why have I never heard of that? Is that like, is that a part of, of acupuncture that's very basic? Like, yeah, I think a lot of traditional acupuncturists will do that as well, depending on what their focus of treatment is. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. So in my, in that instance, I'd be looking to try and improve the motor response of the glutes. So we'd be looking for some contract and relax cycle to be happening with that electroacupuncture. And then you get more support for the low back from the glutes, which as we know, I'm sure you know, are a lazy muscle that don't want to get involved in supporting our movements unless we make them. <laughs> are you first and foremost trying to engage with the nervous system? 
Yes. With acupuncture? Is yeah. that like the, that the whole point? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it might be for motor function. It might be to neuromodulate uh, pain of a sensitized area that was injured long ago and never fully recovered. Um, so it can help reduce uh, pain when the pain signal has become um, outside of what we consider normal. So it helps with that. And then you also, with the electrical current, you get some release of endorphins um, at the spinal cord level. So uh, in my course, they referred to it as activating the body's internal pharmacy for painkillers. So it can help with pain relief as well. Activating the internal pharmacy. I've never heard that. And I think it's genius. I love that. Pretty, pretty cool way of describing it. Is it just experience, like how exactly to know where you put these needles? Because it has to be so specific, right? It is. Yeah, we have to um, base our selection of points on targeting uh, peripheral nervous system or uh, targeting the uh, muscles that run alongside the spine um, at specific spinal levels. Uh, so we might be targeting um, the nerve supply for an area at the spinal cord level, of course, we're just inserting into muscle, not the spine itself. That would be a bad idea. <laughs> um, and then we also do a few systemic points, which we draw from uh, traditional acupuncture. So point on the top of the head um, is really great for overall pain relief. And then we do a few auricular points in the ears, uh, also for pain relief. And then a few uh, points near the wrists or ankles. Uh, same, same goal with those as well. Okay, so if you have never been to an acupuncturist and you're out there and you're listening, what would you expect from an entire session? Uh, for someone who is considering acupuncture and has never tried it before? Yeah, like if, I have, if I'd never been there before and I was just like, what am I supposed to expect? Like, am I, do, do you put them in there and leave me on the table for like an hour? Like what is... Exactly, yeah. Uh, so... With someone who's never tried it before, uh, I try and only do a few points to start with to see how they respond to it because the individual response can be uh, very different from one person to the next. And yes, um, just talking and getting feedback from the patient as we go to make sure that they're feeling okay. And then if they're feeling uh, great, then I'll step out of the room for five minutes to start with and check back in and then um, leave them for a bit longer. And people really like that part. A lot of my patients fall asleep or they they say that they almost fall asleep. They're kind of somewhere between sleep and awake. And a lot of them feel a little bit lightheaded after treatment, but that passes within five to 10 minutes. A session is usually about 45 minutes to start. Okay. And um, can kind of be meditative if yeah. you are in the right headspace. Exactly. Yeah. I just have some white noise. I just have a fan going in the room. So it's very quiet and they just kind of are left to uh, relax into their treatment and to let their mind wander. I actually need to, well, I need to do a lot of things ever since I had my bean. She's going to be two tomorrow pretty much taking care of my body the way I used to kind of went by the wayside. So hard to find time. Hey, <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to find time, but I need to go do these things for myself. Okay. So let's talk about you as a mama. So can you tell us about anything you'd like to, to tell us about family planning, 
prenatal, your birth story. And you have two, right? I do have two. I have two girls. Yeah. Uh, one is seven and a half and the other one is almost five. Let me think. I guess I was uh, 31 when I had my first one. Um, it took me a long time to feel ready to have kids in life. Yeah, like emotionally, financially, all the things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, a little bit of a scary prospect or maybe a, a very scary prospect, depending on who you are. And you know, life is going to change completely. Yeah. And, you know, you saying that, but you had your first when you were 32, you said? Uh, 31. Yeah. 31. So you live in a different world than me because had I said that at 31 here where I live, people would have been like, like, that's what people say when they're 41 here. Does that make sense? I'm not quite following. Basically, we wait till we're almost infertile to have children Ah, (laughs) in LA because (laughs) (laughs) until we're freaking out because our bodies might not comply. Gotcha. So when you're saying that you waited for me because I live in a different world. 31 seems young for it. Oh, yeah. But... My, I have a business partner in Ohio where I grew up and, you know, her oldest is 21. My only is two, you know? So that was early because she, you know, she had her kids at like 23 years old. Yeah. Very different worlds. Yeah. Very different worlds that, uh, depending on, on the community that you live in. But so you were feeling like it took you a little while to be ready for the, for the, for the next chapter, which it definitely is because your life completely changes. Yeah. Utterly. feel like it turns itself inside out. (laughs) And, uh, pregnancy was great for my first one. Uh, just, you know, awful heartburn, but that's pretty normal for people. And, uh, it was a very long labor for my first one. I was in active labor for 70 hours, which felt like an eternity. Um, Wait, active labor for 70 hours? That's like three days. It, it was it was ridiculously long, like contractions. Would, oh my God. Slow down and speed up, but they were always um, at regular intervals and, and pretty intense. But uh, we went to the hospital three times because uh, they wouldn't let us in the first two times. And then the third time we went, it was the 50 hour mark. And I was like, please let me in. It's been 50 hours. So how did you even rest? How did you even rest those first two days? Because if your contractions were coming every, I don't know. Uh, we didn't. My my husband and I were uh, pretty much awake. By the time my daughter was born, uh, we'd been awake for 90 hours, <laughs> which was very difficult. Oh my God. You, I always come on here. I'm like, it's, it's not, it's going to be a regular story. No, every single story I listen to is bananas. What? This is, this is crazy. Like you have nothing left in you at that point. It's pretty, pretty exhausted then. Um, I did get an epidural at 60 hours and that was amazing. I actually did get to sleep a little bit then on and off with that. So that was a little bit of a break. Oh my God, you're a warrior. That That's crazy. So they wouldn't let you in the hospital before you were dilated five centimeters. Is that the rule? Uh, four centimeters is their mark. Yeah. Four. Okay. Oh my goodness. And, and nobody, did they offer to induce you or no? Well, I already had regular contractions. So no, they didn't, didn't really give me any options. 
Okay. Okay. And you were like, I just want to have this baby. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know how it is. You're in labor. You just want to get through it. This bean was born two years ago tomorrow. And I remember two years ago today, I was like, I'm so done being pregnant. Yes. (laughs) So done. And I didn't actually like being pregnant at all. So I was like, this is the longest nine months of my life. So I I can't even imagine. I had like a 30 hour process, but that's less than half. That's still pretty long though. That's intense. It's yeah, it's still pretty long, but oh my God, that's why my mouth is open because I thought mine was long. I had an epidural way before you did. So they're great though. Wow. If they work well for you. Well, I had some issues with my epidural, but this is not my story. This is yours. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can relate to what you said. I didn't like being pregnant either. I wanted to have my baby, but I did not enjoy the process of being pregnant. And I think it's um, amazing if women do enjoy that experience, but it definitely wasn't the case for me. And our, our baby was healthy. She had a very low APGAR score when she was born just because her cord was wrapped around her ankle and they didn't know that till the last minute. Um, I had a wonderful doctor for the delivery. She had to use the vacuum. At one point that malfunctioned and wouldn't turn off. So she uh, yelled oh, at the nurses. You had, you had the vacuum assist? Yeah. And then she, uh, the doctor was trying to turn it off. The machine wouldn't turn off. So she uh, disengaged it and kicked it across the room. <laughs> There's a little bit of uh, intensity there, but it, we, we all got through it. Wait, she couldn't turn it off after the baby was out? Yeah. Well, she, she was, no, she was using it. And then she decided she was done with it. It wouldn't turn off. She yelled at the nurse to unplug it. And then she kicked it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) But you know how you're just not totally aware of what's going on at that point anyway. So. Oh my God. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a first for me to hear. Um, Just a tangent. Do you have any pelvic floor issues because of that vacuum assist? Uh, I didn't feel like I had pelvic floor issues. No, I didn't do any rehab after the first one, uh, but I definitely did after the second one. My first baby was also quite uh, intense. She she had uh, lots of reflex and uh, issues with nursing. She had a tongue tie and a lip tie, so that was really difficult for her, and she wouldn't sleep. Uh, she, yeah... <laughs> her dad uh, got desperate and read, uh, what is it, Dr. Harvey Karp's uh, five methods to get your baby to sleep. And we lived by those for a while, but it was a lot of uh, a lot of sleeplessness. And it was hard to feel like I was doing anything right as a mom. Uh, if you have a baby who's not responding to the usual tricks, then you often question whether you're, it's your skill or whether it's them or... You know, my bean is the same. I was beside myself, beside myself trying to get her to sleep for maybe close to a year and a half. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You end up with so much less sleep than you ever thought you could exist on and into kind of a state of mind where you're like, I didn't even know it was possible to function like this, but still alive. So obviously it's going to work out. I honestly, I honestly don't know how I existed and survived because I remember saying to my girlfriends when I had my first eight hours straight of sleep, like 
second between the second trimester because in the third trimester I was so uncomfortable I couldn't sleep through the night and I had to pee right every time your bladder gets half full you have to pee (laughs) I think that I had my first eight hour stretch at like 18 months of her life that's a long time (laughs) it's a long time it's almost it's almost two full years of not sleeping for eight hours in a row. I don't know how I survive because I am not the type that can go on a little sleep. Like I'm just, I need eight hours. If I don't have it, I'm not, it's not good. So (laughs) I feel you 100% because I don't even know how we survived. And when people ask me what I did, I, have you heard of that thing called the snoo? No, I haven't. Okay. It's like, it's like super expensive. I think it's like $1,500. It's like a bassinet and then you strap the baby in and it, it, it basically moves your baby when they start to fuss. Okay. So like, and there's an app in your phone. Like, yeah, but she hated it. She absolutely (laughs) hated it. So I, we had every single sleep and we didn't buy it. We borrowed it from a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank God, because like every single little thing that I tried, like I borrowed it from somebody because I would have gone broke. Yeah, so I totally feel you. So for you, how long, is she a good sleeper now? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually we used white noise all along and both our girls sleep wonderfully. They sleep like 10, 11 hours a night. It's it's crazy actually, so. Wow, that's great. They're making up for it now. Yeah. My bean's making up for it too. She sleeps full eight hours without waking up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who knew? You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. So you I don't even understand. Years. Yeah. And then you're, then you're good to go. I have girlfriends. I have, I have friends whose their kids were amazing sleepers for the first year. And then they started to shift and those people, I feel bad for them because it's not like, you ever, you know, like they got past the, they thought they got past the worst part, Mm -hmm. but I think dealing with the bad sleeper later on is even worse, honestly, because you're like, okay, the first year is supposed to be really hard, you know? So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I think you're right about that. They don't know what they're in for and then it takes them by surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So your first had acid reflux, so did ours. Um, she had like diaper rash the first couple weeks and it was totally bad and it wouldn't go away. And that's partially why she was crying all the time. Yeah. Um, I even joined this group on Facebook called, I think it was fussy babies. There's a Facebook group. That's a good idea. And it's just support group. Yeah. It was just, it was just moms like commiserating because they just weren't sleeping. And I, found that group and I was like, okay, I'm not alone because when you're, some of your friends have those like unicorn children, yeah, you're like, oh my God, right? Like, am I doing something wrong? So having a uh, high maintenance baby really, um, it, it, I think it made me have a fair bit of postpartum depression. Uh, it really felt like I'd just been kind of swallowed up by motherhood and wasn't sure really who I was anymore in all of that. Um, so one day I was just on Facebook or whatever, and I saw some ad for Ariel Silks here in the city. I was like, Oh, what's that? That looks really interesting. So I called, um, the studio, which at the time was move and soar owned by Yuki block. And I said, can I just 
come and show up to a class. And they said, yep, we've got a class tonight. Why don't you come to that? So I went and we did, you know, a standard beginner class and I was inverting on the knot. And I was like, this is amazing. I get to be upside down. This is so cool. And I just loved it and fell absolutely in love with it. And that really uh, brought me out of what I had been feeling and gave me something new. And I just felt like a totally new person as a result of that. So I'm very attached to Ariel because I feel like it saved me from the dark hole that I was in at the time. Oh my goodness. This Katie, this story is amazing. I love this. Yeah. Well, you know, I resonate with a lot of your story, but the Ariel did not save my, my heart necessarily because I already had it in my life. And it's odd that that's true. You know what I'm saying? Because I, yeah, you had a whole career. Yeah. So like, uh, what is it called? I had postpartum anxiety, which was just an elevated version of my, you know, like it, I already had anxiety, diagnosable anxiety beforehand. Mm -hmm. So, um, very little got me out of it except for medication because I don't know, like I already had those tools and they weren't working. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's a whole new experience. You wouldn't, yeah, the same tools might not work for that. And then if it's uh, hormonal, then, you know, there's not, there's only so much you can do about that. Yeah. How long did you experience some PPD? Uh, Well, I think like a lot of people, I had a lot of denial about it. Um, But I'd say probably good 18 months. Oh my goodness. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a really long time. Once you know what to recognize and I, you know, I've seen this in other friends who have had babies. I've seen some friends for whom it seems like it's lasted, I don't know, five or six years even. Oh my goodness. I feel like I got out a little lucky because, you know, it's easy. It's easier to recognize if you have something, if you've already had it. Mm -hmm. So my anxiety before it was just a stronger version of it. So I knew I needed to go take care of it. Yeah. Your story reminds me of my friend, Gail. Gail's been on the podcast before. She's a myofascia. She's my myofascia girl. Mm -hmm. When she was in the middle of her first pregnancy, she ended up with depression and it lasted like two or so years. And same thing. She met me, found Ariel, and she always tells me it brought her out of the cloud. Ah, nice. Yeah, and she always struck me as, like, she's such a, she's from Minnesota. (laughs) She's very strong-willed and very grounded woman. And I think she didn't realize there is anything wrong because she was just, like, so tough, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um. And so she went untreated for so long. She just had her second baby and her other child is now nine. And she was, I would always ask her how she is. And she's like, I'm great because I'm not depressed. Like everything about this second pregnancy was just like so much easier because it wasn't the same as the first. So anyways, I resonate a lot with what you're talking about. Like 
And I didn't even know, like Katie, I knew like four things when I asked you on this podcast. <laughs> this is amazing. So, so it lasted like 18 months. And so did you feel like Ariel just brought you out of the cloud and you kind of never went back into it? Uh, yeah, it really did. Um, and then I, I mean, I trained for nine months at uh, the studio there and was loving it completely. And uh, partway through that, um, I mean, we were trying for a second baby. So I knew that it was possible that I would be pregnant at some point. So I did get pregnant and I asked my instructor if I could keep training. And she said, well, I haven't worked with many pregnant women before, but you are an RMT, so you know what you're doing. So I'll test you on that. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. So I trained until I was five months pregnant there. Um, and then then I started to get diastasis recti. So abs are separating. And uh, mm. my husband's also an RMT. So we just assessed that one day. I was like, I feel like it might be happening. And he's like, let's do this test. And he's like, oh, yes, it's happening. And I was like, dang, I think I should stop. So that was RMT. What does that stand for, by the way? Oh, sorry. Registered massage therapist. We, we, ah, we okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, ah, and we lovely. Were the same clinic. Um, and how did you test that? Do you just test it with your fingers? Uh, yeah. Like you lay on your back. Um, you can have knees bent and feet planted, and then you can, uh, palpate the midline around the umbilicus or the belly button. And then you just do an ab contraction. Like you try to lift your head and shoulders off of the floor and normal abs will contract and stay relatively flat. And if you have diastasis, it will kind of dome up. Um, towards mm. the midline and that's a sign that the uh, abs are separating there okay so you had a little bit of the dr most of us what do they say 100 percent of women have dr by the time the baby's born that would make sense yeah 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 so but you had it earlier than the third trimester yeah yeah well it's second baby and um athletic women are more likely to get that as well. And so there are a few factors, but I, I think probably uh, doing certain aerial moves longer than I should have contributed to that, but that was my decision and risk. So, And you say athletic women are more at risk for DR just because we're using our abs more? Yeah, because those stronger outer abdominal layers uh, can actually work to sort of pull. Um, pull apart. Yeah, pull apart the inner layer. Okay. All right. So you had a little DR and how was the rest of the pregnancy? Uh, it was, it was fine. Just more of the same heartburn. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Heartburn is really underrated. Uh, Terrible. It's awful. <laughs> I, I was on medication for that both times and it, it just made a little bit of a dent in it. So, you know, you start oh, my food goodness. items off the list. You're like, I guess I won't eat that for months and months. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's really common. I had a little bit of heartburn the other day for no reason. I was like, this is terrible. And why did it happen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally terrible. So, um, you had your second, you had your second baby and, uh, what was your journey postpartum? Uh, I waited six weeks and then I went to a pelvic floor specialist, uh, here in the city of physiotherapist. And she was wonderful and gave me all kinds of exercises. So I went through um, physiotherapy rehab for that. Uh, it took longer than I wanted it to. because I was so eager to get back to aerial classes. And so I went back pretty much a year after I had stopped. Uh, 
which was partway through that pregnancy. And uh, I wasn't feeling like I was quite ready for full-on aerial classes. So I just joined the aerial fit and flex class. So it's more floor work and uh, just using silks or hoop for some conditioning exercises. Uh, nice. It's one of our intense classes. But uh, yeah, there were definitely some moments in class where I wanted my abs to do something and they wouldn't. And I, I felt like I was on the verge of tears. <laughs> uh, but, you, mm-hmm. you know, you persist and you get the strength back slowly and dealing still, I think, with lots of hypermobility. Uh, as you know, when you're still nursing, there's still lots of uh, mm-hmm. hypermobility there, which affects strength and affects uh, active flexibility and all of that. And so you weren't an aerialist or did you have any dance or gymnastics background before you walked into that class that day? No, none. Okay. So how's your path been with, with uh, strength training and then flexibility training? Uh, pretty good. We, in Fly Studios, we do a lot of uh, conditioning and flexibility work in our classes are kind of known for that um, in the city. Some of the other uh, studios, I don't think they do as much. They just get on the silks pretty quickly. Uh, but we're trying to train strong, flexible aerialists. So uh, that was part of Yuki's program when I was her student as well. And um, yeah, it's been decent. I feel like I've gained a lot of flexibility and strength. Do you feel like when you first started, I remember the first start time I started really stretching as a kid because I was a dancer as a kid. I thought my muscles were going to like, rip it was very very like I can remember it like it was yesterday so do you feel like your body was kind of open to it already or was it it was it really hard to start that process as an adult uh I don't think it was really hard I I mean I wanted better flexibility than I had at the time when I started I had done five years of taekwondo when I was a kid so I was familiar with how stretching should feel so it wasn't okay. a surprise to try and push the length a little bit. Okay. Okay. I've got a lot of adults who have started as adults and they're like, oh my goodness, this is such a challenge. But on the other hand, they're going to be in such better, better in a better place when they're 80 years old, because if they had never done it, you know, we all need to stretch. It's whether or not you're going to start or not. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. I work yeah. with all kinds of elderly patients who would have really benefited from strength and flexibility training earlier in life and who definitely should have had pelvic floor rehab after their babies and didn't yeah. and just see the long-term effects of that. And it's intense sometimes what they end up dealing with in their 70s and 80s. Yeah, and it's, I think nothing's, nothing's, um, so static, but it's hard to reverse some of these things after it's been so long. I had a moment where I was, uh, you know, when you go for like your car service and everybody's in a waiting room and it's like a breakfast scramble of humans. I forget how mobile I am. Ah, you know, compared to the relative population. Yes. Like I have a hip thing right now. My hip is like really aggravated. I got an x-ray on Friday just to check if there's something there, probably get an MRI, going to see a chiropractor on Tuesday. So I feel in my body like 80 years old and totally broken right now. 
right? That's, that's like, that's how I characterize my feeling today. Mm-hmm. And then I walk into the, like the car service thing to get my oil change. And I'm like, oh, Carrie, you're fine. <laughs> like <laughs> calm down, take it down a notch. You're fine. Like I'm, I'm so mobile and I'm so capable, you know, uh, but we don't always feel that way. But then you see yourself amongst just a regular population. You're like, wow. Yeah. It's good to we are, reminders. we are a different bunch. Yeah. We're a different bunch. It's like, we're talking about, you know, you with two children, me with one, you know, getting back to full body inversions, you know, somewhere between six weeks and six weeks after and two years after. And this to us is like the conversation. Like I just, I literally had this conversation with the last podcast that I just recorded for like a half an hour. Microing it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is like what we talk about. So um, yeah, so you went for that pelvic floor therapy and you are now five years out from your last pregnancy. Yeah, just about. Okay. Is there anything that is not what it was before when it comes to how it feels? No, I'm definitely stronger now, but I would say that it's only within this past year that I've actually gotten my core strength to where I wanted it. And Ah. it still could be better. But uh, for the first four years after my second daughter was born, I would look at my training videos and I would just see my core was not in control of the movements and it was wobbly and it was unstable. And I could see that's where a lot of movement was being limited. So it, okay. I think it did take an incredibly long time to rebuild that um, responsiveness in the core. Yeah. And none of us want to hear that. No, like literally no. every single woman Every single woman I've ever talked to when they're pregnant, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get back into the air exactly six weeks because that's what they tell you. You have to wait. And then I'm going to inversion train like, like a mad person until I have my inversion back. That's what every single woman says that I've ever talked to who's an aerialist. But it's so easy to choose the inversion, right? Like you can. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You can definitely muscle through it with hip flexors and quads and ignore your core entirely. So. I mean, and, and getting the whole thing to function properly. And, you know, you're talking about putting, you know, hair size needles in people and stimulating nerves. Like it is, you know, you have to heal and it's, it's not like we should all chill out. I'm not even chilled out. The reason why my hip is in a bad place right now is I think I overtrained it. Mm. I think I talk about this every week. Katie, you're going to you're going to become a podcast listener. We're going to we're going <laughs> to indoctrinate you. And then if you decide to go back and listen to some of these episodes, you're going to be like, "Carrie, you talk about your inversions every week." I think that's the thing about pelvic floor. It can be so sneaky. Like you can think that you're back to full strength, but it can be just not participating in the movement. Uh Yes, it is, it is like, no, it's definitely not. It's not participating and I can feel that disconnection. So um, it is tricky and sneaky. And even physical therapists that I've talked to who are also aerialists that are on this podcast, they they said the same thing. Like they just wanted to do it. So they just went and did it. 
and kind of skip some of the smaller steps. So five years out, you're feeling super strong. And you said 31, you were pregnant for the first time. Does that mean you're coming up on the big 4-0 soon? I'm turning 39 in December. Oh my goodness. So my math is almost correct. How do you feel about, how do you feel about coming to this next, uh, the dirty forties? I feel okay about it. Actually. Uh, I, I guess I'll see what happens. Um, I feel like Ariel helps keep you young though. Uh, yeah, I still yeah. get ID'd in liquor stores. <laughs> yeah. I think that, uh, you know, if you have a, if you have things in your life that keep you playful and tapping into, um, you know, just being a human who's willing to uh, be silly and have fun and fail at things and then uh, enjoy things, even if they're not going exactly how you want them to let go of control. I think all of those things help contribute to keeping you youthful in many ways. Yeah. And I always thought that motherhood would age me. And I feel like I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't think that's true anymore. I feel like my my movement practice will keep me young for a really long time, at least on the inside, you know? And then just strength wise, the bottom line of like pulling your own body weight constantly, you know, it's to me, I it's always kept me in shape very easily. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that compares quite to that. Of course, if you do it in another fashion, CrossFit or, or whatever, it's the same idea, like you're just pulling your body weight. I don't know if you teach beginners, but I teach beginners a couple times a week. It's not that it surprises me anymore, but just not being even able to pull themselves off the ground from like a standing. Yeah. And I think to myself... You know, I don't want to, but I can do a 15 minute atmosphere set if I need to, <laughs> you know, to support, <laughs> to support to, yourself yeah. for that. <laughs> but I could, you know, and to be able to do some percentage of your weight for 15 minutes, you know, you're a strong chick, mm-hmm. which is super cool. It makes me happy. I do teach beginners and I love seeing how fast they progress. Yeah. Like even a few classes in, then they can hold themselves off the ground and you see them working so hard, but they can do it. Yeah. Oh, I want to come visit Canada <laughs> sometime. <laughs> well, you should come visit yeah. our beautiful new studio. We just opened our new location in June. Because um, our, uh, our previous location closed down in October of last year as a result of the pandemic. So. Okay. But you guys were able to open back up in a different location. That's a big win. We were. Uh, there were three of us instructors, uh, Romy, Anastasia, and I, and we stepped forward and said, we'd really love to keep this going. Yuki actually moved to the States. She's in Tennessee, in Nashville now. Okay. And she was she was the owner of the yeah, she, other studio? She really started aerial arts in Saskatoon in a big way. Without her, it wouldn't be what it is in Saskatoon at all. Um, and so she had run uh, her studios for seven years here in the city. And then she just needed to go and be with her husband in the States um, with everything that was happening in the pandemic. And so three of us said, yeah, we really like to keep this going because we can't live without it. So uh, it took a lot of work, but we have our new studio. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. And Canada as a whole has a like deep circus roots, like super deep. 
Yeah, especially out in Montreal and BC. Yeah. Do you feel like that influence carries over even to where you live? Possibly. Um, I'd love to see it carry over more if we ended up with uh, people passing through. We'd always welcome instructors uh, to come and train and teach us what they know. That would be pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, Montreal is just like the hub. Yeah. Uh, Katie, I, I learned some stuff today. And then also, um, you are perfect for this podcast. You may or may not know that Okay, your story fits right into this very, very small niche pocket, which is why I asked you to be on. Thanks so much to Katie for being here today. Again, check out the show notes for the link to the free mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Thanks to Asa Watkins for music and post-production. And if you guys resonate with any of these stories, I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and leave a comment. And even if you'd like to be on the podcast, I want to reach you and all the corners of the world in our aerial community. So go ahead and connect with me there or at carry at wrap your head around sulks.com via email all right guys thanks for being here i will see you next time